1865, William Chatterton Dix, the son of a surgeon who lived in Bristol, England, and worked in maritime insurance, aged 29 years, was afflicted with severe depression, a sickness that nearly took his life, but ultimately totally changed him. During that time, he had a revelation of Jesus, an encounter with God, and experienced what can only be described as, quote, a spiritual awakening. That moment inspired him to begin writing hymns. He became an avid reader of the Bible and later that year went on to write the lyrics of a famous and traditional Christmas carol called What Child Is This? In the final stanza of that carol, Dix calls us to consider the gifts the wise men brought that first Christmas, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And is there something in those three things, those three gifts that help us to answer the question, what child is this? Now, no prizes for guessing the message of my title today is, <laughs> what child is this? Now, quick show of hands. How many people here have ever bought a present for a newborn baby and gone to visit them? Quick show of hands. Now, please keep them up if when choosing your gift, you consider something along the lines of gold, frankincense, or myrrh. Oh, no. Because when we think of gifts for babies, of course, we think practical what is the stuff they need that they can use right here and now? So rather than gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I guess most of us are thinking nappies, wipes, baby grows, things like that. By the way, I think nappies are, uh, sorry, wipes, not nappies, although they are a great invention, of course, because it would be awfully difficult without them. But I think wipes are possibly one of the world's greatest ever inventions. In fact, I wonder how I ever lived life without wipes, because we use wipes in our house for everything since the kids, you know, they, they're just an amazingly practical Thing. They're a practical gift. So William Dix was right to ask what child is this because you don't normally take those kind of gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh for a, for a newborn baby or a young child. You would typically tend to go practical. And so we're going to be looking into Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 to 12. Amanda's already read it for us and so I won't need to read it again this morning. But we give practical gifts. But gold, frankincense, and myrrh are not practical. They were prophetic gifts. Turn to the person next to you and say prophetic gifts. What we mean by that is very simply this, that God had enabled these three wise men, these magi, God had enabled them, as it were, to look down the line of Jesus's life and tell us something about this baby. They were prophetic gifts. They were gifts because they recognized, God had allowed them to recognize not only that he'd come, but later in life who he would become. And so when we give gifts, we don't give gifts like that. Paddy's a landscape gardener, but I bet when he was a young baby, no one turned up and said, here, mum and dad, here's a shovel. No one looked down the line of his life and saw that coming. Andy was a maths teacher, but no one turned up when he was a newborn child and gave the parents a calculator. Well, at least I don't think they did, did they, Andy? I don't know. <laughs> but there was nothing random about this. It wasn't like three guys were heading out, quick, we need to take something, what shall we gear up? Oh, I don't know, a bit of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that will do. No, they were specifically given to tell us something about who this child was born to be. And so we're going to try and answer together this morning, what child is this. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh mean something. They were prophetic gifts. 
They didn't bring ordinary gifts because they understood this was no ordinary baby. I think the journey that the wise men in themselves undertook underlines the fact that they knew that this was no ordinary child. They were wise men. They were not the kind of guys who were going to go out on a whim, who just kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe true, maybe it's worth a, what they reckon was about a two-year walk. Maybe it's kind of worth it, could be true. No, no, no. They recognized that this was no ordinary child. They were wise people, not the kind of people who are going to undertake a, a just kind of a journey on a whim. And so if they, re, if they believe that they walked, as, as I've studied this, around two years, how many people know that's a long walk or a very sore camel ride? You know, my children think a two-hour walk is a lifetime. I mean, we have to buy sweets just so they don't die, you know? <laughs> just so that we're going to make it. We have to load up the bag and prepare it up. I mean, the, if we suggest a walk in our house, you want to hear the noises of joy that come back at us. They walked for two years, and there was something special about this child that drew their attention, they believe, from as far away from Bethlehem, from as far away as Iraq, and even possibly modern-day Iraq, and even possibly as far as the far end of Iran. And they walked because there was something that drew their attention. And these three prophetic gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh reveal to us why. What child is this? Number one, he was one who was worthy of gold. I'm sure you know that, but gold being a symbol of kingship, it was a gift befitting of a king. Amanda read to us earlier on in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They came looking for a king. And the beautiful thing was that they recognized the king in the child. Time and time again in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is recognized as a king. In Revelation 17 and 19, he is called the king of kings. The king of kings. You think about when he rode in on the donkey and they were proclaiming Hosanna and they were waving their palm branches. You think about when he stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him, are you the king? You think about the inscription that they hung upon his cross when he was crucified. There was a recognition there, an understanding of something that the wise men understood. He was no ordinary child, and so they had to bring gold. He was a king, but not any king, the king of kings. Not only was he king, what child is this? Number two, he was the sacrifice. You know, I'm sure you know, but frankincense was an incense used since the time of Exodus. And it was one that the priests would uh, take in the tabernacle, uh, in the temple for worship, in the tabernacle for worship. And that, that being the place, the tabernacle being the place that represented the place where you came to meet with God. Where you came to have fellowship with God. It's the place where you meant to meet with God and God, went, and God would meet with you. And the priest had certain things that he would do before he entered into the presence of God, before he was allowed to enter into the presence of God and begin to commune and have this fellowship with God. One of those things that before he would go in, he would take the frankincense and he would pour it upon the altar. This aroma would fill the place as it was burnt on the flames. And the whole thing, as it was poured out upon the fire, was consumed. It was a symbol. It was a smell of communication to God, with God, and from God. It was symbolic of worship and communion with God. 
And prophetically, frankincense, of course, has shown us something that Jesus, as they look down the line of his life in the given of it, Jesus came, we know, to communicate God's love. He came to communicate God's power. He came to communicate God's mercy and God's grace to us. But I want us not just to stop there. Because giving of this gift meant more than just that, as wonderful and as powerful as that is. But the priest would offer that frankincense to God, up to God, as an act of worship. And as I said earlier on, it was totally consumed upon the fire. You know, throughout the Bible, when we think of worship, when we look at what worship is, worship always involves the thing that's being offered. Worship involves the thing that's being offered. It's, if you like, a sacrifice of worship. And the giving of that offering, that that sacrificial giving, was essential to access into the presence of God. Jesus was born to be our frankincense. He was the offering. He was the sacrifice. He was born to die on a cross. To give us a way into a relationship with God. Into the presence of God. On Friday night worship, Andy and Rachel put a picture up. And I remember Tim commenting on it. And I said to Claire, wow, when I just saw this picture... Um, is the PowerPoint there, Beth? I wonder. I probably put it in the wrong place, but there it is. I just that just really struck me when I saw that picture on Friday night worship. The the cradle, if you like, in the front, the manger in the front, and the cross on the horizon back there. From the cradle to the cross, you know, Jesus, our Frankenstein, Jesus being born as they presented to die, to give His life, to give us access into the presence of God, into a relationship. With God, and through Him we meet God. Number three, what child is this? He's the one who takes away our pain. You know, myrrh was a pain reliever, it was a, a salve for wounds because it had healing agencies in it, it was a, a healing ointment. And I, as I studied this and tried to come at this and look at this, I was so blessed because when I saw that, uh, in one of the, in one of the kind of talks that I was listening to and the things that I read, some, the point was highlighted. I thought, wow, I've not seen that before. And it, it caused me to begin to just dig into things a little bit. But I'd never actually clocked this. And you may well have done. And you may say, gosh, Pastor, I think you really should have seen that. But, but I, Myrrh was offered at his birth. But I hadn't really clocked the fact that Myrrh was offered him at the cross. I don't know if you noticed that, but he was given Myrrh at his birth and offered Myrrh at the cross. The Bible says in Mark chapter 15, wine mixed with myrrh. They, they offered it up to him. It's, but it says this in Mark 15 verse 23. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So myrrh was accepted at his birth, but at the cross he refused it. This is interesting. He received it at his birth, but at the cross he refused it. Now remember that myrrh was a pain reliever. That's why they offered him it at the cross. It was to numb the pain, if you like. Now surely if ever there was time to want to take that myrrh, it was now in the agony of the cross. I think that, you know, no matter how many times we try and talk about it and describe it, friends, we really do not understand just how brutal, barbaric, excruciating and painful was his death upon the cross. So if ever there was a time to take it and numb the pain, it was now. But Isaiah 53 verse 4 to 5 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs, 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And say it with me. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus refused it at the cross. Because he was showing us something. That he is the fulfillment of the prophetic gift that was given at his birth. Now stay with me here. I hope you're on the ride. And you're holding on to where we're going. Jesus was the myrrh. In other words, he was saying, I won't let them numb me at the cross because I'm the very one who came to take the weight and pain of your sin and your sickness and your suffering. Wow, that just began to blow my mind. I won't let them numb me because I am your myrrh. I take your pain. I take your sickness. I take your suffering. I take your sin upon myself. Jesus... In, before he even started his ministry, really prophetically in Luke chapter 4, he declared this very thing. Why he'd even come. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in his life and in his death, Jesus was saying, I'm the pain reliever. I'm the healer. I'm the one who can close up the wound of sin. I'm the one who can take your pain. I'm the one who can deal with your brokenness. I'm the one who can take your suffering. What child is this? He's a king. What child is this? He's a sacrifice, the sacrifice. What child is this? He's the healer. He's the one who takes away our pain. But three significant things happened in the wise men's journey. The first thing being this, they arrived at the right place. How many people know that was a miracle? It was a miracle. Number two, it says that when they arrived there, they were filled and overcome with joy. And we're not just talking like, oh, nice one, fellas, we made it. It says they were ecstatic, one version says, with joy. Number three, it talks about how they fell down and they worshipped. How many people know those three things show us that they recognized and discovered this was no ordinary child? Who this child was. But yet we see that none of the things that are happening there happen by chance. It, it happened because they did three things. How many people want to be classed as a wise person? Anyone want to be a wise man? <laughs> Anyone want to be a wise woman? What's it take to be a wise man or a wise woman in this day? If you really want to be one and recognize and discover who Jesus is, that doesn't just happen by chance. You see, number one, wise people look up. How many people know that God was onto the whole GPS and sat nav thing long ago? Way before we were. I mean, we're pretty slow to catch up because he puts a star in a sky that directs them and guides them exactly to where they need to be. This is a supernatural thing. God is at work. It's important for us to remember this. They did not arrive at where they were supposed to be. They did not discover who Jesus truly was by leading themselves. They followed a star. 
God led them. Let me say to you, number one, some people never really discover who Jesus is and how amazing he is or get to where God wants them to be and discover what God wants them to do because they won't give up the right to lead. I want to lead my own life. I don't really want to surrender to letting God guide me. These are super sharp, super intelligent guys. Yet it's a beautiful thing how they humbled themselves and understood I'm not going to trust that, my intellect, what I think I know, what I've learned. No, to really discover who this child is, how amazing he is, to get to where God wants me to be and to discover what God wants me to do, I'm going to look up and follow him. And it says the result of God leading them there and discovering who Jesus was, what they were filled with joy. How many people, when you talk to them about just let God lead in your life? They think to themselves, oh, that sounds so heavy and oppressive. I've got to give up all the fun, you know, and, and life just becomes a bore. Let me tell you what happened when they looked up and let God lead. It says they were thrilled with ecstatic joy. Ecstatic joy. The message version says they could hardly contain themselves. The New King James Version says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. You know, friends, I actually just want to put it to us that for some of us, we need to know this. The route to a happier and more joyful life is simply looking up and letting Jesus lead. Let God lead, sorry. Give up the right to lead. There was supernatural guidance that led them in their life. Some people never really discover, secondly, who Jesus is and how amazing he is or get to where God wants them to be and discover what God wants them to do because they spend all their time looking around when we should be looking up. We try and find wisdom at this level in our horizontal relationships. I heard a great quote just recently that said this in view of the Christmas story. We live in an era where we're following the wrong stars. They were super sharp, really clever guys. But friends, there is a higher wisdom that can only come from above. It's not a wisdom in the sense of that's just going to make us super intelligent. It's not just that we're dealing with three guys who are intellectually on a level above us. Although, of course, that may well be true. We know they were very intellectual guys. But this wisdom was more than just, oh, they're boffs. They're super sharp, intelligent guys. They're the only kind of people who can ever arrive and discover what Jesus has for them. No, it wasn't that at all. God was guiding their life, their turns, their decisions, not just filling their mind with intellect. How many people know you can get really smart people with no wisdom? You know the old phrase, don't you? The, the, uh, I've written it down, I'm going to quote it right. The problem with common sense is, it's not that common. But there is a wisdom from above. There is a wisdom that guides their life. A, to be guided by a supernatural power. How many times the Bible talks about lifting up your eyes? Guys like King David who had everything. What did he do when he was in trouble? He says, I lift up my eyes. There's a rock that's higher than I. I lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. Look up. When King David was overwhelmed, what did he do? Looked up. Friends, the world, I mean, yes, only surface it. Friends, we're living in a world of chaos right now. You know, I know that doesn't sound that Christmassy cheer that you might want to have, but there is a good news message today. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Anyone like me ever find themselves thinking, I don't know what to do. 
I don't know what way to go. I don't know, um, am I supposed to be there or there? I don't know what the answer is. Look up. So wise people look up. Secondly, wise people worship. I love the way that we've got three men of great reputation. But when they arrived, it's beautiful. It speaks volumes to me. They, they set out in their very intention, it says in verse 2, that they've seen a star. They, they have come to worship him. In verse 10 to 11, I read, it says, They were rejoiced with an exceedingly great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Three wise men of great reputation, overwhelmed and undone when they discover the child. As they come into his presence, they fall on their face. To lay on your face like that as three wise men was a posture and a position in worship of honor and humility. We recognize who this child is. It's interesting that one of the definitions of honor is worship. One of the most powerful, beautiful ways we can honor Jesus is when we worship him rightly. Honor and worship is key to discovering who he is and how amazing he is. You know, I thought to myself, what would I, how would I have been reacting after, you know, a couple of years searching, a couple of years journeying, if I was there with a couple of my close pals, and for two years, you know, we'd been hunt, hunting, that is the wrong word, sorry, searching, you know, and we find it, found the place. You know, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That wasn't because they were like, as I said earlier on, like, yeah, high five, boom, we've done it, we're the men. It wasn't in that thing, woo, selfies at the stable on social media, hashtag we found Jesus, you know. That's kind of the sort of thing we might do, you know, some people might do these days. Oh, I, I've, I've found Jesus. Friends, I've, I've got news for you. Actually, friends, it's all because of the goodness of God. Wise people know if you find Jesus, it's nothing to do with you. It's all because of the goodness of God. And they recognized and honor what God had done to bring them to this place. Friends, when we come and worship, it's a funny phrase. We say, I found Jesus because actually God found me. And recognizing God in it all kept them from pride and high fives at the stable and led them to worship. Worship was the only appropriate response because of who the child was. This is so important. I'm, I'm nearly done. It's so important because, friends, if we have the right view of who God is, we will make the right response. The lesser, I'll read it as I wrote it, the lesser our view of God, the lower our level of worship goes. But the higher our view of God, the higher it rises. And true worship is about honoring Jesus. Why? Well, lastly, Wise people give their best to God. It says, then opening their treasures and offering him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I love this quote that I heard. It's not mine. I won't steal it. Simply said this. Worship should always take us to an open treasure box. Did I put that up there, Beth, on the screen? I didn't. I meant to. Sorry. Worship should always take us to an open treasure box. What was meant by that? 
we need to remember worship is about giving, not getting. A massive part of recognizing who this child is, is found in giving. A massive part, an evidence, if you like, in someone's life that they've come to discover and recognize and acknowledge and worship Jesus is found in their giving. The giving of their time. The giving of their devotion and affection and attention. Being fully present when they're in his presence. Given of their focus and their gifts and their talents. Friends, dare I even say this? The giving of their finances for his work. That worship there is that old English word comes from that, you, you know it, worth. W-O-R-T-H, ship. Worth, ship. In other words, it is giving according to what you feel he is worth. How worthy is he of our time, our devotion, our affection, attention, focus, gifts, talents, even access to our bank accounts. But you know, the most valuable thing of all those things that you possess is your time. It's the one thing that we all have an equal amount of. You may have a few more quid in the bank than me, or I may have than you. We may have different gifts and things. But we all have an equal amount of time. How many people like me sometimes just wonder, God, did you make a mistake only putting 24 hours in a day? Because I just wonder, actually, if you could have just sort of looked at it now and thought, I could have done with putting a few more in there. Because how often we're always saying, I just haven't got enough time. God doesn't make mistakes. We all have it. It's just a matter of how we schedule and prioritize it. I've often heard it said, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping this up now. I've often heard it said, this phrase, love is spelt T-I-M-E. But I recently heard this said, actually, relationship is spelt T-I-M-E. Because you can't have relationship with someone if you don't give your time. If I don't invest any time in my relationship with my wife, we're not really going to have much of a relationship at all. It's the same with God. And the wise men didn't give God a little, a little that will do offering, which I think we're all guilty of sometimes, myself included. They gave him the best because it says they gave him, quote, their treasures. And you know what gets your treasure as an indicator, the Bible teaches, of what has your heart. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be. The appeal here really is this. Don't give your heart to what's not worthy of your devotion. Some people give their heart to things and to people, to relationships and stuff in life. It's not worthy of their devotion. But Jesus is. So in summing it all up, we never really recognize and discover who Jesus is, how amazing he is, get to where God wants us to be or discover what God wants us to do unless we give him our heart. You know, it's why it's easier for some folks to walk away from God or go a different way because they've never really given him their heart. Give God your treasure. Some folks come to worship and they leave their treasure box closed. They don't open it up. They hold back on God. They hold back on their time or devotion, passion and affection, attention, gifts, talents, etc. 
But this Christmas time, how do I become a wise man or woman? Recognizing and discovering who Jesus is, how amazing he is, getting to where God wants me to be, discovering what he wants me to do, finding the answers and directions that I need in life, getting the wisdom that I need for that situation I'm in, and God knows about that situation. Number one, look up. Let God lead your life. Number two, learn to be a worshiper. Honor him. Number three, give God the best of what you have, your heart. Give him the best of yourself. Because what child is this? One, he's the king. Two, he's the sacrifice. Three, he's the one who takes away our pain. Friends, Christmas was the birth of no ordinary child. There's some verses that I want to read to you. Andy and the band, perhaps you can come back. Hannah, I'll swap out in a moment for you so you can get in here on the mic as well. There's some verses from a song that Andy and Rachel led us in on Friday night in the Friday night worship that was online. And they highlighted a verse in it and it had just... Just before they, they highlighted it, I, Claire said to me, wow, that spoke to her in it, and it spoke to me. And I want to sing it because I just want to read a couple of bits to you. It goes like this. What kind of greatness can this be that chose to be made small, exchanging untold majesty for a world so pitiful, that God should come as one of us I'll never understand? Perhaps put the lyrics up if you can for me, please, Beth. What kind of greatness can this be? The more I hear the story told, the more amazed I am. Oh, what else can I do but kneel and worship you and come just as I am my whole life and offer him? The one in whom we live and move in swaddling cloths lies bound. The voice that cried, let there be light asleep without a sound. This was, this was the line, couple of lines here. The one who strode among the stars and called each one by name lies helpless in a mother's arms and must learn to walk again. Wow, just, just think about what you're singing there. What greater love could he have shown to shamed humanity, yet human pride hates to believe in such deep humility. But nations now may see his grace and know that he is near. When his meek heart, his words, his works are incarnate in us here. Just read the chorus with me. Oh, what else can I do but kneel and worship you and come just as I am my whole life and offering. Thanks, Andy.